allegedly said that you left him in a bloody poke. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. he was high. It, it, it says that uh, yeah, I was on his private jet or something like that. Yeah, Whoa. Yeah, that was pretty serious. They can never lose the WBC title no matter what weight class they go to. Huh? Michelle Lomachenko and can never nah, lose it. Nah. They never Unless they lose it. Nah, they that's, can, that's they no can't lose. They can win. They can't lose. If they win a fight, they can become undisputed, but they can never that's, lose it. That's vegetarian. Oh, uh, no, no, no. We got to talk to Al. Top rank got some shit going on. Matter of fact, boxing on some well, bullshit. Make your fucking mind up. What do you want? You silly toss pot. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. Katie Taylor versus Natasha Jonas was probably the most important fight of 2021 so far. And I know it's been slim pickings. It may even be the most important fight in female boxing. It's... I think Saturday night was the point where you just looked at it as a fight and not just female boxing. I think Saturday was that time where you didn't care that it was two-minute rounds and not three-minute rounds. And the reason I say that's important, we wanted it to be three-minute rounds because the two-minute rounds that we had seen up until this point hadn't given us a feeling of a real fight. It hadn't given us that ebb and flow that the three minutes give us where someone wins one round, sorry, one minute of the round, someone then wins the middle, and then maybe someone comes through strong at the end. Do you see what I mean? There's an ebb and flow to every three-minute round that we weren't getting when it was three twos, mainly because the, the, the ladies hadn't been given the platform. They hadn't been given that security of a decent payday so you can actually just lock yourself down, train, and develop a new set of tactics to optimize the two-minute rounds, which are different from the threes, not much, but enough to make it noticeable. So Saturday night, we saw two contrasting styles, but an ability to make two-minute rounds compelling to the point where I, I'm not bothered whether women fight two or three-minute rounds anymore. I feel it's more important that we move towards getting the best to fight the best in the female division. I think that's the most important thing. Because when the gap in ability is as small as it was between Katie Taylor and Natasha Jonas, you get fights that are compelling. Female boxing needs fight after fight that's compelling. What we don't want is... I'm going to sound horrible saying this. I don't want to see Clarissa Shields versus someone like a Hannah Rankin. Right? Hannah Rankin should be fighting people who are closer in ability to who she is, and Clarissa Shields should be fighting people who are closer in ability to who she is. And I'm not saying Hannah's not good. What I am saying is you've got a two-time Olympian, a woman who hasn't tasted defeat in nearly a decade, versus someone who took up boxing to keep fit and has managed to make a career out of it, which is commendable. But it puts them on completely different paths. And when you see those sorts of mismatches, it's not great. And it's not great for the men's game either. But with the ladies, we have a chance to build something here free of all the rubbish that frustrates us as boxing fans. We have a chance to give a purer product, a more exciting product. And hopefully then, 
the commercial opportunities open up for these women who who train just as hard as anybody else. They're in the gym. They're part of the culture. They're part of the energy. And it will be time for them to to make a good living for themselves because a lot of them deserve it. You know, look, I'm a fan of Tasha Jonas for any number of reasons, but she's grafted her way from wanting to be a professional footballer, football scholarships in the States, coming back to the UK, boxing, not knowing where boxing was going to go when she started. Working for the council, doing this, doing that. Then being able to be an Olympian, to be a poster girl for all that is good about female athletics and female sport. To then being a mum and being a role model to mums and saying, you can come back even better than you were before. What's not to like about that? Then you've got Katie Taylor, the machine. From when she was a teenager, just dominating, fearless. Doesn't matter what sport you put her in, she'll play to win. No one's been able to find a way past her since 2016. You know, she's figured out the formula for the two-minute rounds, and she's, she's ridden all the way to the top. So you've got two ladies here where you're looking at them going, I can't question who and what you are. And then you put them together over 10 rounds and you get compelling entertainment. I thoroughly enjoyed that fight. I, I, was, I was excited. Admittedly, I had, to, I had to find a stream, not a stream, but a, a replay of it so I could watch it in more detail. Because I, to be honest, I had to pop out and get some, some supplies from the, soup, from the store downstairs. But the important thing is the entertainment they offered is a challenge to everyone who's out there and they want to make a career as a female boxer. The challenge now is, are you prepared to have a no-filler career like Natasha Jonas has? We don't want to see the shelf stackers and we don't want to see the, the parking attendants. I mean, we don't want to see the, the pastry chefs. We want to see athletes against athletes. And if you can deliver that, I think the fans will watch. And that's why this fight was super important because what it did is it said female boxing is credible. Female boxing is commercial and fans will tune in for the right fights. But as a technical exercise, I thoroughly enjoyed what I saw. Now, the thing with Katie Taylor is she's nailed the formula, as I said earlier. She knows. As long as I can throw punches and bunches down the middle, it's hard for anyone to counter me. So Katie will do that. She'll just come forward throwing one twos they're not even hard shots but they disrupt you and they break your structure and from there she can then work out what to attack uh delphine pursuit didn't allow that to happen because she said well what if i come forward and i swing in unpredictable and unreadable ways how will you cope then and i think that seems to be katie taylor's achilles heel if you're a conventional boxer she's seen it so many times she understands it so well you can't even surprise her. It seems if you're slightly unconventional, you do things that you're not normally taught to do, perhaps. Her game falls apart a little bit. And I was hoping that's what we were going to see with Tasha Jonas, but I think what Joe was going on was we can definitely counter. So I have no idea if you guys can hear in the background, but there's an absolute storm brewing outside. So I'm paranoid my windows are going to blow through. But if we snap back to 
what makes Tasha good is she hits hard. Like, Jesus, she hits hard. And sometimes I think to her detriment, she relies on that too much. I'd like to see her sometimes just keep the scoreboard ticking over. You know, even if it's like punches, four or five punch flurries, maybe finish off with a heavy shot just to go, bam, have some of that. But she was too hesitant. And like I said, I'm a big Jonas fan. Like I, I want her to, to carry female boxing over the top over the next couple of years. But I'd love her to do everything else. Question of sport. I don't care. The one show. She could even do Top Gear as far as I'm concerned. Like, uh, I've been sucked in. Uh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. So if we just come back to it. So, so I'm watching the fight. And, you know, we might touch on the Joe Gallagher renaissance. But I like seeing Tasha box really loose. I think sometimes you just want to get a word in the ear to, to dominate her lead side so she should have been dominating the right hand side and I think she'd have had an easier night of it she'd have found a home for the left uppercut which was massively underused in the first half of the fight like when you're a southpaw shoveling that left uppercut it's soul destroying for orthodox fighters because they're not used to it so you don't you're almost like, you almost don't have the calluses there to to absorb those kinds of shots so she could have done it and in a rematch I'd like to see a more aggressive Natasha Jonas, a more sort of do-or-die mindset when she gets in there. And I think she seems to be getting better, whereas I think we're watching the tail end of Katie Taylor. I don't know how much longer Katie can go on for. But hopefully, I mean, we'll, we'll, get, a, we'll get a rematch out of this. You know, part of me is cynical about the idea of the rematches, but also as a boxing fan, at least I know what I'm getting. So kudos to, kudos to the ladies for really putting it down. Like I, I don't think I've been this effusive about a female fight. I, I know I've talked highly of people like Eddie Scott and so forth and Sav Marshall. But in terms of a fight, this was the fight that I was like, more of this, please. But there's definitely stuff we need, we need less of in boxing, don't we? We need a lot less of this. Again, just ruthless from James Tennyson. For me, he needs another fight at a higher level than Josh O'Reilly before he can start talking about Tiafimo Lopez and Javonta Davis. But there's plenty of fights we love. Roly Romero is now number one with the WBA. He'll go in at number two, I believe, in the next rankings. I love Jorge Linares. Jorge Linares at the Odyssey when crowds are back early next year is the one. And I've got to tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're from Belfast, England, Australia, it doesn't matter. Where are we, this camera here? You love knockouts, you love entertainment, then watch and support this young man. He is absolutely ruthless. I think it might not go down too well. I think he'll beat Javonte Davis. Now, I'm telling you, the power that young man's got, the hunger he's got. Yeah, you raise your eyebrows. Yeah, the hunger he's got. He's not sure. Oh, man. That... That that's Johnny being full Johnny. That's Johnny. Um, that we call him semi-scripted Johnny now because some of that he's just fed. Like, look, just say something. That's his role on there, isn't it, Johnny? Johnny's almost a counterbalance. So, where you have someone who's quite pragmatic and you know calls it straight down the line, Johnny has to throw the curveball in there, which he did with James Tennyson. Sadly, didn't do him any good on Saturday night, and. He's another victim of this, I don't even know what you call it, but the, the, this failed Irish miracle. Like we've had, th these guys have all flattered to deceive, haven't they?
You know, like we, we used to talk about how the Irish amateur system produced champion after champion. And they've all flattered to deceive. Like Katie Taylor, I'm not going to say she was a bust. She was commercially. Because think about it, we've never seen the, the homecoming at the Aviva for Katie Taylor. We've never seen that. And Hearn seemingly lost interest in that after about a year. We've seen Paddy Barnes fall over. Um, I'm sure there's a Jamie Condon loss in there somewhere. All of these guys have just sort of fallen over once they got hit with the smaller gloves. And James Tennyson's no different. Now, we've talked about this before. I just think it's a dangerous game bringing Mexicans over from altitude to box at what is essentially sea level. Because for them, they're like, this is easy work for us. And that's another example. They're just a different breed up there. So that's, I don't even know how to describe it. That's, you know, that's that bubble burst, that whole Javante Davis nonsense. That's the end of that then. But if you remember my last episode, I said Craig might be an outside bet for for the win. Now, was I right? No, I wasn't right. But what I take great heart from is the fact that now the fans are starting to see what I've always seen in Craig. Craig is a better light heavyweight than people give him credit for. Right? He went in there with Dimitri Bivol and I think he'd do better in a second fight with Bivol than he did in the first because whatever people say, the occasion gets to you. Like you've been reading about this guy Bivol and you're like, I might wait till he vacates the belt or moves on and then I'll go for it. You know, all of a sudden you get to fight the guy. Hard to change mindsets. It's hard to go from Shikan Pittis to Dimitri Bivol just psychologically. Forget professionally, psychologically. And Craig warmed, he sort of warmed into the fight from, from the replays that I saw. Because I missed it, I was out on Saturday night, so I had to catch it, you know, partly yesterday, partly today. I've got a lot of time and respect for Craig. I think Craig's, Craig has a deceptively hard jab. He has a deceptively hard straight right. What Craig doesn't do enough, I don't think, is he doesn't put that pressure on guys. He doesn't, he doesn't have them confused. Sometimes you have to break someone's structure. So if someone's going to stand in front of me, bolt upright, both hands in front of their face, right? It's my job to break that down. It's not their job to drop their hands for me. I have to break that down. I can do that with punch volume. I can do that with movement. I can do it with speed. But that's my job. And I think had Craig done that, had Craig started to push Bivol back and bully him, and I think sometimes as Brits, we don't coach our guys to be bullies enough. Like if you really think about it, name me the last British boxer you could say was nasty, horrible, forearms in the face, elbows, I mean low blows. You know, people talk about Hopkins being a great, but Hopkins was a master of that. And the reason we don't is I don't think a lot of guys know how to teach these things. Just those old school things like being able to pinch the bicep, the old, you know, tweaking the elbow. It's just all those little things that make it uncomfortable for your opponent in there and forces them to respect who you are and what you're capable of. And I think when Craig adds those little sprinkles to his arsenal, he's going to be hard for anyone. Because he's not even, I think Craig's at 70% of his potential at the moment. What unlocks the other 30%? Because it's easy to say that, isn't it? But what unlocks the other 30% is that nous, Like that, just that old man experience that you can't really buy. But add that to an increased work rate, and I think Craig is a nightmare for most people. On that form, you'd like to see him go in with someone like a Kovalev. Let him get a big win on his record. Failing that, put him in with Boatsy. 
you're almost at the point now where you're saying, I'd rather see Craig Richards on a Frank show because I feel Frank has more opposition for him than Eddie does. I don't want to see him being fed to Baturbiev next or anything crazy like that. I'd quite like to see him jump in with... Marcus Brown would be a good fight. I think that would be a good test. I can see... I can see noises about a Pascal or a Jack, but I'd like to see him in with like a, a Marcus Brown because they're, they're roughly peers age-wise. So that'd be a good fight. But as I keep saying, guys, get behind Craig. I think Craig's had that career where he's been set up to fail so many times and he's come up smelling of roses. And he is, he's a self-made man. He's built this whole thing himself. He got himself signed to match room, all of this stuff. That means that Craig, Craig's a people's champion. I said this when they threw the Bullioni fight at him, and I'll say it now. We all should get behind Craig because he represents the boxing that we love. I'm just going to touch on the Eubank thing quickly just to say this Roy Jones thing is going to end in disaster. That's my prediction. It's going to end in disaster. I've said it. When did I say it? I said it on the New Age Boxing Podcast. There are certain fighters who shouldn't be allowed to teach people how to box because what they did is so unique and is a function of, uh, how do you put it, physical gifts. Years and years in the game, getting it wrong behind the scenes. Years and years of being drilled and trained and you know being presented with problems you had to solve that you weren't meant to. But once you did, you knew you'd never forget them. Years of being in elite environments. And building on that platform to then establish this confidence that makes you able to do things unconsciously. If you watch Roy Jones, does he really know that he's controlling distance? Does he really know that he's just moving his head three degrees? By the time he's in the ring, I don't think he does. It's just all, it's, it's all autonomic. Like it's... It happens almost in his spinal column. It doesn't even go into the brain. And so when I watched Eubank Jr., I saw a guy who was trying to think through everything Roy would do. He was boxing almost like that. What would Roy do? And that's the worst thing you can do. I think had Eubank just boxed as Eubank does, Morrison would have been out in about three rounds. I just think once you cross 30, trying to change your style doesn't work for me. And trying to box like Roy Jones Jr., I wouldn't even say you should do that if you're 15 years old because he's so unique, like Floyd. So unique that what you see on YouTube, and this is a danger of trying to copy stuff off YouTube, what you see on YouTube is so hard to execute in reality when someone's trying to take your head off that... You need the years and years. Like Floyd, look at Floyd. Control of distance, control of ring territory, all of that stuff. He doesn't think about that in the ring. But if you try and copy Floyd, you'll be thinking about that. You'll be trying to process stuff in real time while you're getting hit. That's why it's more important that you box who you authentically are. That's the beauty of boxing. When who you are and what you do come together. And from there, you can do anything. And I think Eubank will probably have to swing more towards old Chris and less towards kind of new Roy if he wants to challenge guys like Canelo. Now, Roy can give him advice. I believe that, absolutely. But I don't think Roy can teach him his style and his tricks. It just doesn't work for me. 
Yeah, Campbell Hatton did what he's supposed to do. Johnny Fisher didn't do what he's supposed to do, actually, and give Johnny Fisher credit for stopping Phil Williams. Not easy to do. Like, I, I saw, I mean, he was a nightmare for, for JP for two fights. So I understand how, how hard it is. So credit to Johnny Fisher for just setting about him. And it's a lesson to all you young heavyweights, and I know some of you listen to this. When you're a big guy, you got to just set about people. Don't try and feel your way in. Don't try and box your way in. Just set about someone, particularly if they're smaller than you. Yeah. Just establish that physical dominance and you'll normally stop them if you're good. But, no, let's touch on the on the real heavyweights on show on Saturday night. Yeah. I, I had very strong views about this fight. I thought the fight was utterly pointless. I thought it was just another excuse to bolster... Two men's bank accounts. Now, Chisora, I can understand. Derek will always give you the fight you want, but I can't think of a single fight where Joseph Parker has been entertaining. I could say the Dillian White fight, but I feel Dillian made that hard for himself. It's, I know people disagree with that, and I understand. But Del Boy shows up puts it on the line I have no issues with Derek being pay-per-view I have massive issues with Joe Parker being pay-per-view yeah you show up and you're I'm training with Tyson Fury and I'm with Andy Lee no one gives a monkeys like to be honest with you like once you stunk out the place against Huey Fury man we were done with you once you complained about the ref not allowing you to box on the inside man we were done with you because you had a chance here to box on the inside and you ran around the perimeter of the ring because you can't box on the inside. So that whole argument fell apart. Like, oh, I was going to box Joshua on the inside. He's clueless. And I think Andy Lee training him just adds confusion on top of confusion. Like, he just... How can I put it? In London gyms, you could tell who had come over from Yeovil or who had come over from Great Yarmouth, right? You could tell. As soon as they jumped in the ring, you could tell because... They didn't really have much in their arsenals, a jab and a backhand and really crap foot movement. And as soon as someone came in slipping and sliding and rolling, they just looked confused. Parker's like that. I don't imagine there's much of a scene in New Zealand, although David Tua's there. So how the hell he hasn't learned of someone like David Tua? No idea. But as far as I'm concerned, the sooner we see the back of Joseph Parker, the happier I'll be. So I'll nail my colours to the mask and I think Derek Chisora won that fight. Mm. Was he his normal, expressive, energetic self? No, but he's getting old now and we have to accept that. But Joseph Parker did so little until round seven that I can't even imagine him winning more than two rounds up until that point. So how on earth did the judges give it to him? I have no idea. And it's another thing that worries me about British judges that body shots never get rewarded. Yeah. We can't we can't have it both ways, right? Remember when Lewis Ritson fought Miguel Vasquez and they gave it to Ritson and I think Robert Smith came out and said we gave it to Ritson because he was the guy coming forward, he was making the fight. That was that was the justification for that win. Now you imagine that judging has to be consistent. Chisora was making the fight, but I would even add Chisora was landing more than Ritson did. Chisora had an easier time dealing with the problem Parker, Parker faced. He dropped him even. So on what basis has he lost? And no one drags up Robert Smith and says, mate, before you said these were the criteria for awarding a victory, why is it different now? 
it's not fair. It's not fair on Derek. And once again, his path to a world title has been kind of snatched from him. Like, you know, people thought he won the first Dillian fight. Second, he definitely didn't win. So now Derek's in that unfortunate position of being further away from a world title than he's been in a while. But he's also in this really good position of knowing he can have any pay-per-view he wants now. Because the fans are on his side. I don't think Parker can be pay-per-view again. Like, he was absolutely terrible. I, don't, I actually don't want to see him on British TV again. He was terrible. Now, if you think how strong his chin is, you think how strong he is nominally, why doesn't Parker just fucking front up and just stand in the middle of the ring and say, right, I've come to Britain. I'm going to let you guys know that I should be pay-per-view every time. Instead, he just gave us a rubbish, you know. And it feeds into this sense that I think we all have as boxing fans that we're just being taken for a ride. As long as we keep paying these pay-per-views, they're going to keep putting them on. And we have to take a leaf out of what happened at Old Trafford the other day and just let people know, look, enough is enough. But there's not much to report on that fight. You know, Derek was Derek. I don't see why he left Don Charles, to be honest with you. It makes zero sense to me because it's the same Chisora. Anyone who tells me it's different, nah, I'm not so sure. Although he said something quite insightful when he was talking about his his new thing now of basically shifting behind the straight right. So he'll throw the straight right and he'll just bring his right leg over with him so he can throw a right hook to the body or to the head and then finish off with a left hook. He's had that in his locker for a while. Don's never had an issue with him doing that. So this idea that Derek somehow figured this out in an MMA gym, I find bizarre, but okay, whatever makes him happy. But I come back to that, I go, number one, why did Parker leave Barry? Nothing... It hasn't benefited him, nor do I think it would benefit him because he doesn't seem to have the courage to implement what he's capable of. And Derek leaving Don makes zero sense to me because there's been no improvement. I think, you know, you're, I guess you will go to the place where you can get a good supply of nuts, fruits and juices, right? Maybe some cereals in there, some maca powder. I don't know, but... I don't see the technical improvement. I don't see the boxing IQ improving in Derek, nor will it. You just have to make sure he's strong enough and fit enough to do the 12. But let's swing away from the UK pay-per-view grifters towards the, the US grifters. And let's just talk about Andy Ruiz because uh, he hasn't fought since he lost to Joshua. Nah, you know, it's been all kinds of nonsense. You know, he's been training without sweating and eventually Canelo got hold of him and said, actually, we're going to make you sweat and we're going to make you lose some weight. So they talk about this weight loss. He still came in, I think he came in over 250 pounds. So he came in about Chisora's weight, but I don't even think he's got the same build. And he still looks obese. Like his legs looked too small to carry his upper body. He, he looks like he's got more weight to shift. So anyway, newly rejuvenated Andy Ruiz jumps in with sort of hyped up club fighter Chris Ariola, who he is. Like, the guy's famous for what? Beating Eric Molina and maybe Charles Witherspoon, right? is one of these manufactured heavyweights that they just had to find someone somewhere who could really take a few punches. And that was it. He lost to Adamant, for God's sake. So that says it all. And so you have this fight that's meant to really be a procession for Andy Ruiz and turns out to be, like, I mean, a full 12-rounder. And 
it confirmed everything we suspected about Ruiz. Ruiz is not that good. So for him to A, beat Joshua and then have Joshua that scared that he's running around the perimeter of the ring so he doesn't get hit by Ruiz, it makes you worry about what happens when someone really connects on Anthony Joshua. It's getting harder and harder for Joshua to avoid those people. Now, I'm not going to pretend I'm not part of Team Joshua now, but we have to now start revisiting who Andy Ruiz actually is. Because he's going to have to give us a performance that Ariola should have been put out of there. Should have been battered, like literally just left lying on the canvas. Hopefully, you know, not too badly injured, but Ruiz didn't show that. He didn't show us the fluency that he shows when he's hitting the, the punch shield or hitting the bag. There was none of that there. He looked confused. He looked he looked like the Ruiz we saw against Joseph Parker. He looked like that guy that's just below world level. So what do you do with him next? Put him in with Wilder? Let Wilder take the scalp? Why not? But I think a fun fight would be Ruiz versus Derek Chisora. Like, if you want to talk about extending Dullboy's pay-per-view life, why not? Because by the time Wilder's done with Ruiz, his career won't go anywhere. And then you can just let Dellboy do his thing with Andy. And then Dellboy will say, well, look, I handled them better than Joshua did. Give me the fight with my little brother. And so Matchroom get what they want, which is stories, right? They love stories. I don't personally. I love fights, but they love stories. And that's why they stock up so many of these rematches. So Hearn knows immediately. Once he flicks the switch to the zone, it's just going to be rematch central on the zone. Fitzgerald, who also boxed on Saturday, God. So you have Fitzgerald Cheeseman, you'll have Fitzgerald Fowler, you'll have Fowler Cheeseman, you'll have all of that. You'll get Chisora Parker again, you might get Parker Dillian again. You're going to get all of these fights just recycled on the zone. Hearn's not stupid. Like he's been stockpiling things you want to see. And he's going to take them to the zone because you still want to see him. Because as boxing fans, we don't have the courage to just turn off. Because then we're like, well, what are we going to tweet about? Just turn it off. Like we've seen it once. It wasn't that amazing. Let's not see it again. That's for Andy Ruiz. Zero interest. Happy that Eris Landy Lara won though. First round stoppage. Ruined my accumulator. <clears throat> but really, really interesting to see. If Demetrius Andrade fancies that work. Because he said he'll fight anybody. And I think Lara might be the sort of guy that would give him trouble. So I'd quite like to see that. So I wonder if he'll, if he'll call out Lara. If he's really got it in him to call out Lara. But I don't think he has. And then there was the kids. Is it Sebastian Fundora? Six foot six. <laughs> <laughs> Six foot six, junior middleweight. Six foot six, super welterweight. Jesus. And he's now winning. And he's getting, well, he's always been winning, but he's getting to that point where someone's going to have to fight him. Who has a belt? Would quite like to see him in with someone like a Jared Hurd. Let's, let's get the benchmark and see where he's at. But now, someone that big at that weight, crazy. And then imagine if he moves up to middle. 
would Canelo fight someone that tall? Oh my God. That is, <laughs> it doesn't really bear thinking about, but I guess these are things to to consider. But, but it just goes to show, I think, if you take away the welterweights, man, the Americans are struggling. Welter and light heavy, the Americans are doing all right, but everywhere else they're struggling. Heavyweight, yeah, not all that. Cruiserweight, they don't really care about. Super mid, they don't really care about. But generally speaking, it's not that great because you think on Saturday, the biggest fight in the United States is between a Mexican and a Brit. And even the Mexican looks like he's got British, I mean, British traits in him. So maybe the UK are taking over. But in terms of Billy Joe v. Canelo, I'd like to see Billy Joe give Canelo problems with the movement. But I just think Canelo is so good at cutting the ring off that he's going to land. And as long as he's consistent in the way that he lands, I don't see how Billy Joe wins. And I don't see how Billy Joe turns over the bias of the judges towards Canelo. I just don't see it. But I'd like to see it because I'd like to see if he takes the belt and walks away from Eddie. That would be fascinating. I'm just conscious I'm overrunning my, my normal 30-minute limit. So let me just touch on a few bits of AOB. Number one, something I've slept on and it's to my eternal shame. Thank you to everyone that leaves comments and reviews on the various platforms, be it SoundCloud or iTunes. Man, I really appreciate that. Like, Sometimes you get so wrapped up in just recording, you forget that there's the, the after bit of having to go and review, get the feedback and learn like, you know, and I do kind of take stuff on board. So just shout out to a single top man, guys like Greg Cross, uh, some boy Jay. I know Danny Watley's left a comment on there. Uh, God, who else is off the top of my head? I can't even remember. Iron Gullet as well. So just thanks to all the people leaving the comments and the support. It's appreciated. And actually, you know, like I'll read some things where people say, do you know what? Sometimes be a bit positive about stuff and you kind of learn from it and you try and, you know, try and be better. I think that's what it is because ultimately it's a product for you guys. Yeah, it's a chance for me to have my say, but only in the context to which it can be received, right? So thank you for that. Thanks to all the guys who share regularly. I think just that that natural organic footprint's just growing. Like I can safely say that the podcast's growing. Uh, other outlets, not so much so. And remember, we just stayed in our lane. Never went to video, never went to print. Well, maybe I started off on print. But I mean, we've stayed in this lane. It's a podcast about boxing, little bits of life thrown in, but not too much. And that's what people want. And that's hopefully what I deliver. So like I say, if you enjoy it, thank you. If you don't, tell me how it could be better. And, you know, I can weigh that up against what we're currently doing. And it's appreciated. And and the thing I wanted to close off on was I touched on the troubles boxers go through last week and just the troubles we all go through. And a fair few people reached out to me via Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook before I disabled it and just getting hold of me personally and have been able to A, say thank you for highlighting it but B, share some of their stories and it's it's unbelievable and I think this is probably my soapbox moment. So if you don't want the soapbox stuff, this might be a good chance to, to sign off you know, if you've got something else to do but I do need to touch on this. The the ability to protect your mental health as a man is something that you will have to do yourself. Like, 
we live in a world where we're not ready for men to take backward steps, not ready for men to admit they're fallible. So we maintain this myth that we're unbreakable, we're indestructible, we're the best things ever. And it gets you a long way. Jesus Christ, ego can get you everywhere. But if you don't surround yourself with the right people, if you don't put yourself in the right environment, it can come apart so quickly. And I've got so many friends who I know, some came back from the army and they struggled. Some people got made redundant, they struggled. You know, some people lost fortunes in 2008 and they struggled. People you'd have looked at as winners, people you'd have looked at as successes, as inspirations, and they struggled. I've seen athletes struggle. I've been in gyms and seen boxers doubt themselves. Have I really got it in me? Can I still do this? Can I overcome the pain? But we're not allowed to admit this in public because it gets ridiculed on Twitter, on Instagram. You become a meme when you admit that you wobbled. That's why it was so good to hear Conor Ben talk about, yeah, it, things affect your confidence. I respect that. I talk to guys all the time who are like, yo, I'm going through a bad time of it. And all I try and do is be the solution. Guys, what do you need from me? How can I help? Now imagine if we all did that. Instead of tearing each other down on social media and going, you're wrong because your favorite box is different to mine. Imagine if we said, mate, are you struggling? And if you are struggling, how can I help you? Because I might not be able to give you money, but I might be able to put you in touch with someone who might, you know what I mean, elevate you. And that's the point I was trying to make. It's really hard to be a man in general because, like, if you look at it in nature, like the lion, man, he has to patrol that territory on his own and he might get jumped by three or four other lions. And he lives with that reality every day. He lives with that reality of, at some point my time's going to be up and I'm going to have to go and I'm going to be banished. I'll become irrelevant. If that's nature, imagine what it's like being human. Every day, you're fighting to to keep moving forward. Because it's not attractive to women to see a guy struggle. They don't like it. They'll walk away from you in a heartbeat. There's, they like to talk about loyalty, but there isn't really that kind of loyalty. We weaken. And we might do things that are out of character. We might cheat on our partners and stuff. It's all this stuff. I mean, and it all becomes an expression of an inability to get the right support around ourselves. And we should stick together. That's why it's important to inhabit places like boxing gyms and football clubs and rugby clubs and cricket clubs. It's important for us as men to remember we're our own source of sanity. So let's all try and be better to each other. Let's all try and see how we can help each other. Not to be exploited or not to have the piss taken out of us, no. But to understand that it's been a hard year been a hard hard year for a lot of people and we can all admit without the support we've had and if you haven't had the support then I can only apologize and I can say you have my my empathy but for all of those people who have ridden out the storm on their own worrying about family and friends and so forth and for all those who might have caught COVID or their family and relatives have caught COVID and you've survived this far kudos to you Wherever life takes you, remember you're a winner. 
Yeah. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have days where things don't go your way. You're going to have days where you might be living on a couple of quid a day. And you're like, I just need things to turn around. And you're going to have to have that courage and that belief to, to stick it out. But my advice is always this. Surround yourself with people you trust with your life. And they will make your life better.